Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today on the podcast, we welcome Veronica Hinckley-Reck, a licensed architect with over 25 years of experience designing award-winning, affordable, market-rate, and senior housing projects. Veronica brings a particular passion for creating beautiful, sustainable, affordable housing that is specific to its context and population and that truly enhances the lives of its residents and their communities. She founded and ran her own practice for 15 years, during which she helped transform several of the Bay Area's newest neighborhoods, including San Francisco's Shipyard, Mission Bay, Hayes Valley, and Alameda's Site A. In 2019, she joined Sarah Architects in Oakland, where she's a design principal and the director of housing for California. Current projects she's most excited about include the Beckenvoy Apartments in San Jose, which is a 365-unit affordable high-rise, all-electric, lead platinum mass timber project near Deridon Station, and the Magnolias, a 66-unit affordable, all-electric, lead platinum modular project in Morgan Hill. Welcome to the pod, Veronica. Veronica, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Vlad. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today? Where are you working? I am where I always am, which is in my home office that I'm grateful to have. I'm sitting here in office-worthy outfit, but of course, <laughs> flippers. Right, right. <laughs> Enjoying the Bay Area life in Alameda. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, Veronica, tell us a little bit about your experience in the industry. Tell us a little about Sarah Architects and sort of how your winding road of your you know career got you there. Oh my. Okay. Well, it's hunker down. <laughs> so, Well, I guess I can start by saying that I've been practicing architecture in the Bay Area for about 25 years. I found my way here from the East Coast where I went to school after doing an internship down in Los Angeles. And I I really fell in love with the West Coast and knew I wanted to be out here. But L.A. wasn't for me. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't like sitting in my car quite that much. So I found my way up to, to the Bay Area and I was fortunate to find a job in a company. It was a small company that focused on, well, quite a variety of things, actually. But they uh, one of the things that they did was affordable housing. I mean, we all had to, to cut our teeth on all the different project types. You know, in a small office, you, you kind of have to be flexible. So I got to explore retail and workplace and super high-end single-family residential and then affordable housing. And I just fell in love with it. Because just the, you know, it, 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 it was just so satisfying to yeah. a project where, you know, it was really meaningful to the people who were going to live there. And I was really lucky also to have a mentor in that job who just gave me a lot of latitude to learn very early on. And so I was designing and managing affordable housing projects pretty early in my career. And I continued as I made job changes. I continued to hone that and work at different scales. And, you know, at each of these 
jobs. I think the biggest firm I worked at at the time was 40 people. Okay. Anywhere from six people to 40 people. But I always loved watching how the firm was run and paying attention to how people were motivated and what was working, what wasn't, what made good partnerships, what didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and kind of seeing where my bosses would focus their energy. Yeah. And I was always asking my question questions to myself at each of these jobs, like, how can I use this opportunity to make uh, make places that are going to allow people to thrive? And how would I run a practice to make sure that happens? And how can I pr- prioritize the things that are important to me, like great design and great client service? And so, th- so those are kind of the things happening for me as I was going through my career. I also started entering design competitions on the side and ended up winning several of those, which was really, it's great when you're working on construction administration to actually get a taste of design at the same time. And then I ended up with an opportunity to this great hospitality project. So at that time, I decided to strike out on my own. And that was quite a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I founded my company, Ignition Architecture, and ran that for 15 years. And we had a lot of success. We won an invited competition to do the first affordable housing project in Hayes Valley. Yeah. Um, after the freeway came down, if you remember that. I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, that was really exciting. And the, the community over there was filled with artists. And the project itself was for developmentally disabled folks who were also artists. So we got to design a gallery and a studio for them. And it was just, that was, it was just a really fun experience. And then during the recession, I moved into market rate housing because the affordable housing had died at that point when uh, we lost our redevelopment agencies for a while. So I continued on with that work and I got to work in, you know, help to author projects in great areas like Mission Bay, did a couple of projects there, um, the shipyard, Site A in Alameda, and... I was, I was also in, at that time with my small company, I think I got up to about 10 people. We had all sorts of projects, single family, residential, et cetera. But ultimately, I always come back to housing. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I'm sort of curious, was, was there a point in time? I mean, I don't know, you know, I feel like in life, there are these moments that kind of you do something and then you all instantly sort of feel like there's some connection to either a place or an activity or, or something like that. Did you ever have such a moment that kind of during your work, all of a sudden for you defined, wow, this is what I really, really love to do in terms of housing? Oh my gosh. I mean, I've had many of those. I feel fortunate in that way, but I will say one of the most gratifying was the project in Hayes Valley, really, because it was a, a little jewel of an affordable housing project. Yeah. And we had an amazing client who really, he, they, he was focused, they were focused on sustainability in a way that other developers weren't at that time. We also were in a community of people that really wanted something beautiful. And they and they also were really supportive of affordable housing. So they but they wanted to make sure that this project, it didn't scream affordable housing, inexpensive, less than. They wanted something beautiful. They yeah. wanted to people that were going to be moving in equity before we really use the term equity that much. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so, so going through that process and feeling the support of the community and of the, the developer and the redevelopment agency at the time, and also, you know, getting to the moment where we had the opening, we got to see all, you know, these people move in and they're just looking around like with their eyes huge, like, really, this is for us. That was it. 
That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And and that's, by the way, a lovely part of town. It's really sort of unique. And I think that highway coming down really opened up that whole, you know, neighborhood, I think, to, oh, yeah. to, to a very interesting kind of, you know, look, look and feel. So you're at, you're at Sarah Architecture now, right? Or Sarah Architects, rather, right? So tell us kind of how you moved from, you know, your practice over to, to that firm and tell us about the practice that you lead there. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that has been a good, a good, exciting move for me. I, like I said, I've been running my practice for 15 years and there is a misconception that when you have your own practice, you know, you do have autonomy and you do have flexibility, but you don't necessarily have more time. In fact, yes. you're, work- <laughs> you're working on everything. I mean, I was IT, I was HR, I was marketing, I was everything. And as much as I enjoy, you know, all of those things, my true passion is design and really getting great housing built. And so I made a decision that it would make sense for me to explore seeing where I could find great partnership. That would, you know, I was looking for, I wanted to partner with talented people. I'd always wanted to be in a practice with varied expertise, you know, not just focused on housing, for instance, but with, you know, multidisciplinary different sectors, because I feel like all of those things feed each other. They should feed each other. You know, we're, you know, it's like a ecosystem, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so I was having conversations with different firms and I got really excited when I met the folks at Sarah, they really focus on their people. You know, they've been around for 53 years, first of all. So they're, they're proven. They've been successful through multiple downturns. They have a variety of sectors, like I mentioned. So they have urban planning, they have workplace, public hospitality, landscape. Even we even have a civil engineer. One of our principals background is civil engineering. We have, like amazing sustainable a sustainability resource group that we can lean on when we're diving deep on something on a project. So that it really is what sold me on joining Sarah. And the other thing I think was they I was going to be one of two principals leading the Oakland office. So so the firm itself is I think we're at 180 people right now. Okay, yeah. And we have about 30 sitting in Oakland. And so I get to, I get to do what I've always done in leading a group of folks, you know, in a little bit of a more intimate setting, although we're growing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I get to have this great partnership with all these talented folks that I can lean on and have conversations with. That's neat. I think it's really great. Like um, our urban planning group, for instance, they sit in the same studio and, you know, there's projects that they're working on and they're, they're asking me, hey, if we were going to look at housing here, what are the things we need to to be aware of? What should we be looking at? And I can lean on them too and say, hey, I'm looking at, a client's looking at this project area. What should we know about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of cool. That is, that. that is cool. You sort of peek into each other's sort of worlds every now and then, right? Yeah. You mentioned environmentability and I think resiliency is kind of part of the big focus of, of the firm. You know, tell us, how does it manifest itself? That's a big question. <laughs> I mean, in so many ways. I mean, I'm glad you bring this up because it that is one of the big reasons that I did join Sarah um, is because of this focus that they have, that a lot of research that they put into it constantly. And all of that impacts what we do. We're always looking at what are the different things that we sh- that we should be considering, that we should be putting in front of our clients. I mean, we're fortunate to be 
I'm fortunate to be working on a couple housing projects that are all electric and going lead platinum. And our team is, you know, has always been on the forefront of understanding why these different things are important. We also look at healthy building materials. We have a pilot, pro, a pilot program with HBN uh, on one of our buildings that we're okay. testing out. We have a, a somebody in our surge group named Matt, and I'm sorry, I think his last name is Pacone, but he did a wonderful primer on biophilic design for Sarah, and we, you know, implement the thinking behind that when we yeah. approach, her. you know, it, and it's not sustainability and resilience. It's not, it's not just about the built environment, but it's also about, you know, equity, housing equity and thinking about that. So, so while I'm uh, the director of housing for the Bay area, we also have uh, an affordable director up in the Portland office. And so we have these conversations about how can we offer quality housing because that's really an essential goal for our Sarah housing groups. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think what seems to be on the edge of, you know, architecture and design today in terms of the environmental sort of aspect of it and resiliency in the future probably will be just be table stakes, right? I mean, this will be something everybody does. And I think the faster we get there, the better. And it sounds like you guys are already at least halfway there, if not even further, right? Well, yeah, I feel like, I mean, we really are, we're, we're on the leading edge and it's exciting that we, because of that, we attract clients that have similar values. And that is really important because we can talk about it all day long, but if we don't have projects to work on where we get to explore these things, then there's really no point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we've got like, we've got, you know, projects that are really pushing, pushing the limits of sustainability and our urban planning group is focused on systems, like regional systems uh, where you kind of generate and supply your own energy. Veronica, so one of the things that we've noticed in the in the news over the last you know couple of years has been more words like mass timber are being used and modular construction. Are you noticing this also as part of this kind of environmental resiliency aspect of uh, you know design? Am I noticing that that people are out there wanting to do this? Yeah. Are they out there wanting to do it? And also, are you working on any specific projects that incorporate some of these techniques? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Definitely. I had been exploring modular 10 years ago. In fact, in fact, one of the competitions I mentioned before that I was I won was many years ago, and it, it was uh, designed for a modular system that was kind of way, it was way more conceptual than what we're doing these days. But um, currently, we're working on both mass timber and modular. And so we have got an amazing project, the McAvoy and DuPont apartments in San Jose. I'm super excited about it. It's two towers of mass timber, 365 units. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's an all electric lead platinum affordable project. And it's, it's not just mass timber, which is cool enough. Um, We can talk more about that, but it also has these we're, we're designing mega panels for the facade system. So those are all prefabricated and then bathroom pods inside the units. So there's a lot of interesting new things being explored in that building in an effort to not only uh, focus on sustainability because of mass timber um, significantly reduces the amount of carbon when you use that as opposed to concrete. Sure. We're also looking at how can we speed up 
construction. Yeah. And member goes up pretty fast as do, you know, bringing in these bathroom pods and the other things that we're looking at. Yeah. This has to be one of the bigger projects in the country for Mass Timber. I mean, at 300 plus units, right? Yeah. That's my understanding. It's certainly of affordable. <laughs> right. Right. Interesting. This is to me super interesting. And and talk a little bit about these, you know, wall panels. Is that a separate company that's then, you know, providing those? And then who's doing the bathroom pods? That's also kind of an interesting concept. We've we've seen that happen, I think, like in some hospital design, but I but I think this is probably one of the early projects that's also doing it for residential too. So yes, those are different companies. I mean, they're subs to the builder. And I I'll I'll mention where one of the reasons that, that we are doing this mass timber project, this project as mass timber, it was something that that we knew that the client was really eager to do. And the client on this one's first community housing. And our firm, Sarah, partnered with Lendlease. So we are in a design build partnership and they have a, they have a lot of mass timber experience. So that paired with the fact that Sarah has, we have a few mass timber projects going into construction right okay. now that I, under NDAs. Yeah. <laughs> As everything is in the Bay Area, I think. <laughs> but that that partnership is allowing us to, to really explore this successfully. Um, and they also will have the subs that will be the, you know, fabricators of the mega panels and sure. the pop. The developer that's doing the project in, in San Jose, that when they hired you guys, was this already in their head a mass timber project or was this kind of a road that you guys uh, went on together <laughs> to get there? It was a road we went on together. They had previously gotten the project entitled with a different builder slash architect okay. as metal frame modular. And I'm not sure what, what the reason was behind it, but ultimately that did not move forward. And um, so we were invited, I was invited to prepare and you know, respond to an RFP. And I was asked to find a design build partner. And so in realizing, knowing the priorities that this client had and that they had a real interest in ultimately looking at Mass Timber for something and knowing that Len Lease and Sarah and First Community shared really common values around how we wanted to approach work, yeah. they seemed like the best possible fit. And, and ultimately, that's how we came into the project. And the client was super excited to look at this as mass timber instead of modular. Now, that said, we are working on a modular project with them. That's a smaller scale, not high rise. Sure, sure, sure. Do you feel, I mean, this is all, I think, interesting and very innovative. I think it's proving to be faster, better for the environment, all of that. Do you feel like the adoption of some of these new techniques is happening fast enough? Could we do better? Oh, well, there's always room for improvement, but I feel like it has really, both mass timber and modular are gaining traction pretty quickly. I think mass timber, once the code is fully ad is adopted in July, it's it's going to be a little more clear what the pathway is for, okay. for people to look at that. That's one of the challenges of doing it now is we have to anticipate, but ultimately in July, we'll know exactly, everyone will know exactly what they're designing to. So that'll make it a lot easier. And is it just for California? That's for California. So the IBC has already been adopted in other areas, like for instance, in Portland and Oregon, but the California vision version is much more restrictive. Yep. What we can design and how we can design it is, it will be different, you know, so we, we have to just be aware of that. And I think the other parts, you know, people are still, there's a lot of research currently happening around, you know, how, 
how to make sure that when you do mass timber, that it is sustainable, that you are saving carbon. I mean, there's lots of benefits to mass timber outside of that, but thinking there's a lot of research into what are the best practices for forestry, for instance, and, um, and then really understanding how do we appropriately map like the biogenic carbon as it relates to overall carbon savings for, for a project like this. Yep. Our, our surge team um, is hot on this, uh, on this path, you know, kind of always keeping abreast of what's happening and advocating where they can. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Veronica, I'm going to switch the topics a little bit here and take us sort of 30,000 feet up in the air, if you will. Right. One of the things that we noticed in the architecture industry, uh, you know, during the last recession, it was very disruptive. A lot of people left the industry. There was a lot of job losses. Since the onset of COVID, I know some firms have laid off people. Tell us, what's your perception of kind of the impact on the industry this time around compared to, you know, a decade or so ago? Well, it's very different, I think. The impact, I mean, we still don't entirely know the impact, but it will be related to how long the recovery actually takes. And I think 2008 recession had a really long recovery. I think more sectors were hit really hard. And while... This one has hit sectors. There, the needs for, for those things in workplace and in housing continue to grow. So I think from talking to my, my friends in the development world, there's a feeling that this recovery will be a lot shorter, that there's going to be some challenges throughout this year, but by next year, things should, should start to feel a lot better. Yeah. You go in a really good direction. And I think there was an article in the Times yesterday said that with the aid package, assuming it gets approved that the conservative projected recovery will will be at least twice as fast as previously anticipated. So, so that's, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in the last decade, what we also have witnessed living in the Bay Area, right, is that you, I mean, the region just became sort of the the, the center of innovation globally, right? I mean, it, it just sort of became so transformative, not just for the West Coast and California, but I think for the whole country and, you know, I don't think that's going away. Right. So I, I don't think the need for housing is going to go away. I don't think the need for companies to be located there is going to go away. And so I, I do agree with you. I do feel that whatever the snapback, if you will, might take a lot less time than it did in, you know, between 08 and, you know, 2011, if you will. Right. Some of our, our tech clients were learning that they, during this pandemic have actually hired, you know, tens of thousands of new employees. So all of these folks are going to need homes and services. And of course, that means they all need architects. Yeah, yeah. Has your firm been able to, you know, bring in some new people or kind of keep yourself busy during 2020 and early time of 2021? Yeah, we we have. We we have been really fortunate. I mean, we had, you know, some slowing uh, of certain things and and actually we brought in work in other areas. Uh, we didn't, I think we maybe, um, there were one or two people that ultimately decided to, to move on. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of challenges for folks during sure. this, you know, do, can we keep people busy? It's about how can they manage educating their children at home? Yeah. Yeah. We've been super flexible with people and allowing people to take reduced time so they can focus on their families. Um, and then we've also, you know, in those areas where, we had some slowing. We took advantage of that to really focus on, you know, betterment projects. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, because what is better than taking all that brain power and putting it into things that is that are going to, you know, save you time and make you more effective and efficient when you get out of a challenging period like this. Yeah. That's what how we've kind of managed it. And I, it's been very successful. And now yeah. we're getting busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, that's that's good. Uh, better than the alternative, I would argue. Given sort of everything that, you know, you've gone last recession and then this sort of, you know, crazy last decade and then this sort of, you know, pandemic-induced recession that we're kind of entering now or going through now, what are some of the things that, you know, you would tell a young architect kind of coming into the industry to be successful? You know, what, what are some of those, you know, lessons learned that maybe you would tell your younger self, perhaps, if you were kind of coming into the space today? I mean, I guess I would say, try everything. <laughs> because what you want, ultimately, is to find what you love to work on. And when you love something, you're going to make a difference in that. So try everything. Take chances. Do competitions. You know, ex- you know extend yourself within your organization. So that so that you really can can put yourself in positions that are that are challenging because that's when you find the rewards when you find something exciting and when you realize what you can really do. So and then and ultimately, if if you know as you go through your career, I think it's it's ideal to take that and try to find out what are the best clients to work with that have similar values. So doing that and really building you know building a team around you and helping them to succeed along with you is really important. I think all of us should be mentors. We we need we need our well-rounded architects to be thinking about what's important for each project, for each client, for each population that we serve. If we can mentor people to develop in that way, then I mean, that's a huge win. COVID has been very disruptive for everybody, uh, you know, throughout throughout the world, but I always think that challenging times are also times of opportunity. Have you guys at your firm been doing during this time to kind of get yourself ready for the next chapter? Yeah. Well, I mean, as I mentioned, I, we spent several months on these betterment projects uh, for the firm. And that was everything from getting Revit modules, training modules in place, updating our standards, putting energy into our marketing materials, focusing on you know deep dives into s- various sustainability issues, and also Really, we spent time, you know, we've, we've built our practice on great client relationships. So we've spent a lot of time staying close to our clients and learning what challenges they've been facing and figuring out when and how we can support them when, when they're ready to move forward. So that's, those are the sort of things we focused on. Do you think that's going to change the way you guys do your work? Do you think some of these uh, practices that you have adopted over the last year or so are going to kind of continue into the new norm of how things are done? Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I think what we've learned is that we can really work from anywhere and be successful at it. And there's challenges to that. I think we've all experienced the Zoom burnout at some point or another. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think it, it's also allowed us to... Okay, on the Morgan Hill Project, for instance, uh, it's been really great during this time um, to be able to engage everyone on the team in meetings that maybe they normally wouldn't go to. We're not going to spend the time or money driving an entire team to sit in on a structural coordination meeting. But because we have the luxury of listening in on meetings, 
our junior staff is getting to learn about things that they might not have necessarily had access to on a regular basis, you know, really engaging the entire team. And, and it's generated great questions. And I can, I can see sort of an evolution of the way that people think about the work when they sit down to draw it because they're involved more, they're understanding more because we have this access through Teams and Zoom and what whatever you choose to use. So I think that's been a real benefit to the development of our of our staff. And and I do hope that that does continue to some degree. I know. I mean, you never can replace in person meetings, and you know the, those are fantastic. Yeah. I think all of us are going to have to think about a hybrid approach, really, where you may not always have everybody sitting in the room. And now we know we don't have to. But we're going to have to make a mental shift once we do start meeting in person to be inclusive of those folks who are still coming in digitally. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Veronica, given all the disruptions we've experienced over the last 12 months, what gives you hope? Well, I think I've really been hopeful throughout the pandemic, which I know is weird. I think I know a lot of people have been suffering and there have been, you know, I faced my own challenges, but. I've taken solace in knowing that my team has been able to keep working. And really, the real positive for me is that the things we're working on will ultimately make many people's lives better. And hopefully filled with a little delight too, <laughs> because design of, 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 these, of these homes that we're creating is so important to us. We, we're looking forward to the day when we get to be on site at the ribbon cutting seeing the smiling faces, people excited about the homes that they now get to enjoy. Excellent. Veronica, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Stay safe and uh, good luck. Thank you so much, Vlad. It was great speaking with you too.